yet. Take your seats! Please, God! Line. Can we just go back, please? Can we just cut? Can we just cut? Mr. Miller, would you be so kind as to collect the pistol hanging off these boys' hips here? And the Oscar goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live Presents Losing It Over Leo. Today is a very special episode because it is our fifth episode and every five episodes and uh, all, of our, all of our periods of Leo's life here are five episodes long. So today we are finishing up our exploration of early period Leo. That's, that's basically just 90s Leonardo DiCaprio. But today we're going to talk about his most iconic movie for... Honestly, most of his career, he's got a lot of iconic movies, but, you know, this movie that we're talking about today, it was the biggest movie of all time for probably 10 years. Well, okay, so of all time is sort of a weird way to say that if <laughs> well, we, we do still live in time. So yeah. it was the biggest movie ever for like two years, 10 years. Yeah, uh, one point um, only... dollars, thinking gross. And uh, so this movie by James Cameron, the first movie to actually beat it at the box office was also by James Cameron nine year, 10 years later, almost exactly 10 years later, if I remember right. Uh, 12 anyway, years. 12 years. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, the point is we're talking about Titanic. This is probably the longest movie we're going to talk about. Django Unchained is pretty long. We'll get there. But I think Titanic might be the longest. Yeah, it clocks in about three hours and 15 minutes. Um, Yeah. Definitely, like, well, actually, probably, like, one of the longest movies ever released in theaters, honestly. Uh, No, there's some some long stuff. Really? Yeah, I mean, like, every now and then you get movies that are four hours long, and every couple of years you have three-hour-long movies, and Nymphomaniac was, like, six hours. Oh, wow. Movies movies that long don't get released in theaters and make money. So, like, this was one of the longest movies to release in theaters that actually did well. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, especially for, what, a romance... A a romance slash disaster movie. I was about to say... I, I think every, like, disaster movie ever has, like, not really done that well. That's why we don't see them anymore. Um... Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, obviously romance. Like, I mean, like, I think they make money, but, like, to, on this scale is, like, just completely, like, unheard of. Because, like, even now, mm-hmm. like, only, like, the biggest blockbusters can kind of pull in the same money as Titanic. Um, yeah, I mean, so after Titanic, the first thing to beat it at the box office was Avatar. And after Avatar, the next thing to beat it was Infinity War. So, like... 
it takes, uh, you know, right, it, it's Wars. not a romance that's, oh, no, st no, Star Wars didn't beat Avatar. No, sorry. Uh, I thought you were talking about Titanic still. Never mind. Oh, yeah, I was, I was just saying, uh, um, when, when Avatar took, when, after Avatar took over, it took, I guess, Star Wars to beat Titanic, and then it took Avengers to beat that, which are both, like, huge action movies. So action movies do well. This movie has action in it, it is by no means an action movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. most of the score, even though it's technically composed by James Horner, is a Celine Dion song. Like one song that plays several <laughs> different ways over three hours. Yeah. I got to say, I love that. I love musical motifs like that. But I mean. It, it did feel a little corny at times. Uh, but well, I, I always I, liked I, it. I don't know why. I always liked it. I was like, "Oh, it's so beautiful." Because honestly, it's a really, it's like, it's just a really good song in my. It is, and uh, I also kind of went into this movie expecting it to be corny. It wasn't that corny, but any yeah. corniness that actually came up, I didn't mind because I was already expecting it. Yeah. Uh. So, to start, um, you want to talk about Leo, or should we talk about the plot first? What do you think? Let's let's for anyone who hasn't seen this classic movie Titanic, and you know that sounds insulting, but until two weeks ago, I also had not seen the classic movie Titanic. Yeah, uh, yeah, neither neither of us movie, watched it until now. Essentially, the thing is, like, it's a classic. Everyone's seen it, and when you bring up to people that you haven't seen Titanic, they'll go, "What? You haven't seen Titanic?" And that's valid, but it's three hours long. Like, who wants to go out of their way to to watch a three hour long romance movie? It's worth the time, obviously. But, I mean, I don't love romance movies in general, so I'm not going to go out of my way to watch a three-hour-long romance, usually, right? Yeah, it's a pretty big commitment. Um, I don't even watch yeah. hour-and-a-half romances, so... You know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, I will say it's, it's worth looking at. But anyway, the point is, so this, this movie, the, uh, the plot is that uh, the Titanic sets sail from... God, I don't remember where it sets sail from. I think Liverpool. It sets sail from Liverpool uh, to, yeah, to New, to New York, I believe, somewhere in the States. Uh, and um, a bunch of people get on the Titanic. It is mostly historical. Uh, they have a few characters in here that are historical people. Um, and while they're on the Titanic, the story mostly follows Rose, who is Kate, Kate Winslet's character who falls in love with, she's a first class passenger. She comes from money, but her family no longer has money. And she is about to marry Billy Zane, uh, who we'll talk about eventually. I don't remember very much about Billy Zane, but he's, he's a main character. He's a big character. He's got a lot going on. Anyway, she's supposed to marry Billy Zane, but she falls in love with a guy in the steerage compartment, uh, third class, who basically just like, one, he, he won his ticket to the Titanic in a poker game because he could never possibly afford it and just winds up on the Titanic and meets her mostly by chance. And then this movie is primarily about uh, the love that develops between uh, the third class passenger, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Kate Winslet. Uh, I guess the other thing is Leonardo DiCaprio plays an artist. Did I miss anything important? I guess eventually the Titanic uh, sinks, but that's again yeah. historical. So hopefully you know that. Honestly, the plot is very, very 
basic. It's just they fall in love and then the Titanic crashes. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you want to let's let's talk about our main feature, our title character, uh, Leo Leonardo DiCaprio. What did you think of him in this movie? Uh, he was good. I definitely saw what you were saying about uh, about him in our Romeo and Juliet episode, where that was sort of preparing him to be this. I I don't remember what words you exactly used, but he's this heartthrob in this because he's a very he's a very attractive, nice character who uh, that's his whole point. He's the romance. He's the love interest. And yeah. um, he does it. He does it very well. I thought that. Um, I guess I don't know how much of a problem this is in romance movies. I don't think very. I don't think very much because I have watched a few. He is a full fleshed out character. Like he has his own life outside of Rose, yeah. which is good. Um, you know he he uh, he has a lot of good moments, especially when he has to interact with the rich people because he sort of makes i mean it's not very biting social commentary but he makes you know social commentary on rich people in the 19 in the end of the 19 aughts i guess but it is it is like he has a couple of very good moments for sure i gotta say i don't have as much to say about him in this movie as i did in other movies but he was very good i i can't dispute that but uh, I, I don't know. I couldn't really point to it. This is sort of, um, it's kind of interesting because we said uh, in, in Gilbert Grape, um, he was a supporting character and he got, the, he, he got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And just kind of by nature of him not getting nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor ever again, I kind of assumed he never played another supporting actor, but he was very much a supporting role in this because this is very much Kate Winslet's movie, I thought. Even though he is, he's the second lead, essentially. Yeah, I would say that, um, just kind of going off what you were saying, this is, it's honestly a pretty basic role. Um, Mm -hmm. Very, it it, kind of feels like a toned down Romeo. just because, yeah, it, he's playing a, a romantic interest. Um, I, I, I thought his character was like very solid. Um, I liked how they made him very confident, but also very nervous. Um, there's a scene mm-hmm. where he's, he's painting, <laughs> he's uh, doing a drawing of naked Kate Winslet. Um, and we see him as a very confident character for most of the movie. But then we do have that scene of, uh, I don't want to say like the power, the power shifted or whatever, but like uh, that, I thought it was like it kind of expanded his character a little more because he he genuinely did look very like unco- uncomfortable and that like he didn't know what to do in that scenario. Because um, yeah, well, yeah, he's no longer really in control at that point. That's very, you know, Kate Winslet comes in, she actually gives him money. It's a token sum; it doesn't mean anything, but yeah. she gives him money to pay, to draw her. Yeah. And, all of a sudden, he's the pressure is on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like stuff like that was cool. But yeah, other than that, like he he played it. You know, he's, I think he's just naturally a very charismatic uh, person. Um, I I will say, like I thought the second half of the movie, uh, once the Titanic hits and starts sinking, I don't know what happened. Um, but like the acting, I think from the two the two stars just really went downhill 
uh, it might have been the script, but there was just a lot of like them saying each other's names needlessly. Um, so I don't know if James Cameron he like looked up. Oh, this is how people like behave in a panic. They they can they kind of talk this way. But I feel like the characters definitely became a lot more one dimensional once the once the Titanic started sinking. It, it they became very much uh, madly or like kind of kind of lovers with no thought process, you know. Um, and they mm-hmm. felt kind of, they felt very uh, just kind of dumb. Uh, I- go ahead. Um, actually, I think this is a pretty good place to talk about other characters as well while we're, while we're sort of talking about that. I thought the first half of this movie, uh, and I've got a lot to say about the different sections of this movie, so we'll get to more of that later, but the first half of this movie was really Kate Winslet and Leo's show, and the second half of this movie... Uh, that's where all the supporting characters shine, except for Kathy Bates, who was also really, really good in the first half. Um, but in in the second half, you know, we get less of Kate and Leo doing excellent stuff. Like, they're doing fine, but they, they do sort of kind of devolve into just dumb lovers. But that's where we get Billy Zane actually becoming a character. Billy Zane plays the... Uh, I guess I already mentioned this. Billy Zane plays uh, Kate Winslet's fiance, and he's supposed to be an overall scumbag, and it really comes across in the second part where he's, gosh, what does he do? He doesn't, I guess he, he doesn't actually kick anybody off a boat or anything. I don't think he survives that one, but that's where he has his, like, try and redeem my love with Kate Winslet moment. Yeah. I... I thought, okay, his character, I was really surprised how much I liked him. Uh, mm-hmm. The Because uh, honestly, okay, like, this is one of the many things that really surprises me about this movie, but I'll talk about that later. Um, just, like, the writing for his character was honestly, like, on paper, it just seems so stupid and one-dimensional. Because um, this, this is a character that's, like, been done so many times, just the rich, rich uh, aristocrat, I think that's the right word, that, that uh, loses... You know, as as a very overly overly jealous and abusive, um, and kind of you know relies on his money to get his way through life, and is also a coward. Uh, and I was so I was just like at the start, I was like, I this feels like just a really lazy character, right? Because um, especially if we want to buy the romance between Leo and Kate Winslet, it'd be nice to have another character who is who might be more you know more easy to believe that Kate Winslet fell for him, you know? And mm-hmm. which might lead to more conflict. Uh, but honestly, like, I, I just really enjoyed his character. I have no idea why. I, I couldn't tell you why. I think he played the part really well, I guess. He, he, he really amped it up. Yeah, it's definitely his acting. I thought he, uh, well, he had a lot of lines. He literally has a line where, he, where Leonardo DiCaprio uh, doesn't go to smoke cigars and drink whis- whiskey with the boys. And he goes, you wouldn't, you wouldn't enjoy it anyway. It's all politics talk, which like just on, on paper, I don't even know how that's supposed to come across, but it just comes across with such an awful venom when Billy Zane says it. Like he's really malicious about it. It's really funny, actually. Um, yeah, it's the little things like that. It's just his character was so cartoonishly evil, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And I think I think part of the reason that his his character worked so well, and not just I mean, the main reason his character worked so well is that Billy Zane was fantastic as a cartoon villain. But another part is you were saying that uh, it would be interesting to see some conflict where, like, why Kate Winslet fell for him. I think that the context around her engagement to him sort of implied that even if she ever did fall for him, she really, it's possible she never did because um, he's, her mother is very, very into this engagement because of uh, money, how much money, how much money Billy Zane has specifically. And she basically said, we conned him into giving you a ring so like we got to see this through so we can get that money. Yeah. And um, it kind of works because you can see Kate Winslet getting along with him, but never really liking him that much. And because of the context around the whole engagement, it kind of works out. Like it kind of makes that believable enough. Yeah. that uh, Like that's fair. It, it did feel kind, kind of, Force, but like honestly, like if I guess a lot of a lot of people, especially like this 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 was like you know obviously a movie. I think was the nineteen twenties or nineteen tens. Nineteen eighteen, I think it could be yeah. the twenties. Um, um, I think it was no. Let me let me check. I'll check while you're talking. True. So I guess it makes sense, like because um, they they do say there is a quote from the mother. Um, Talking about how, uh, yeah, like a woman. This is this was what a woman must do. Um, so I, I feel like at the time, it's it's a lot harder for us to like acknowledge that, or at least for me, um, just because it was like how long ago it was. So it's hard to recognize that. Uh, it's nineteen twelve. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, but yeah, her mother I thought was played fine. Um, just. She really annoyed me. I guess that was the point. Uh, yeah. And other than that, though, like, there wasn't too many, like, standouts. Like, I think everyone did pretty well. I really liked the the divorcee American. That was... Uh, the unsinkable something? Yes. Maggie? The un- yeah, Kathy Bates. I loved her in this. Mm-hmm. Every time she was on screen, I just, like, I, I wanted to cheer. I was so happy to see her on screen every time. Yeah, she just brought a really um, good warmth and realism to it. She's, she and just exudes charisma in every scene she's in. And it was really neat because her character sort of formed a bridge between Leo's world and uh, the first class people. Not because she belonged to, well, she belonged to the first class people, but she clearly like didn't care very much about all of the social normities that they cared about. So when Leo would come in and he wasn't sure what to do, she would basically fend for him all the time, which I thought was uh, a very important character to have. Someone just to be on Leo's side. It was nice to have that uh, fresh, fresh point of view um, she kind of she kind of made fun, fun made fun of the high class stuff, um, but she wasn't mm-hmm. like totally against it, you know. So it just it was nice yeah. to have a, a rich person that wasn't you know like just an asshole. So, yeah, yeah, she was significantly less snooty than really anyone else in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the movie, 
But other than that, I can't really think of any. Can you think? Was there anyone else that really stuck out to you? They want to mention. Um, I definitely noticed a lot of the supporting characters. Like I thought the band leader was very good, but he only has a couple of minutes at the end. I thought the captain was. I, I thought the captain and his first mate were very good, but again, mm-hmm. they had you know five minutes in between. Yeah. Basically, everyone who's in this movie, there's not a bad actor in this movie who has any screen time. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this movie doesn't have a huge supporting cast that is really that important. So, yeah, you I, know, I'd say like a lot of, of people felt like extras in a way. Yeah. Which I think was really smart because they didn't focus mainly, like, they focused a lot on Rose and, um, Jack, obviously, but other than mm-hmm. that, there wasn't too much focus on anyone else, which I think helped because they were really building, instead of building like just a certain cast of characters that we followed throughout the crash, we follow a lot of like people slightly, but just enough to like really remember them, right? So when yeah. the, the Titanic is sinking, we, we I think it really adds to the, the feeling of like, like you kind of feel bad for everyone and not, not just a certain group of people, you know? Yeah. I, I think it adds to the tragedy, which was a mm-hmm. nice touch. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, yeah, everyone, I think, did their job very well, uh, but not too many standouts. This wasn't really an actor's movie from what I can Well, tell. I mean, I suppose it was, but if, well, I guess if it was, it was only really for the two leads and Billy Zane and I guess Kathy Bates. Like, yeah. the, this, this movie doesn't have a lot of main roles, and it doesn't want to. Yeah, which is fine. Uh, yeah. What else? Uh, so I lost it's my good. list. It's very... <laughs> Oops. I was going to say, it's very different from Romeo and Juliet, where every person that is on screen has a very specific job to do, and needs to be there for a decent amount of time and get fleshed out. Where here, you know, you have the band leader who's, you get his entire character in two sentences because he's well-written and well-acted, and that's it. You don't see him after those two sentences. Yeah, that was good enough, you know? I don't Mm -hmm. know why. It's kind of weird. Well, I mean, there's a lot to be said about being able to convey everything you need in just a few lines. That's true, yeah. That's it. it really does show James Cameron. Did he write the script for this? I don't know. I, I assume so. But either way, yeah. I, uh, he did a great job of that. So I guess, do we want to talk, um, do we want to talk a little more about James Cameron? Because sure. Uh, yeah, what, well, he was... what, had, what had James Cameron done before this? This was, not, this was not by any stretch his first movie. He'd already done Aliens. That's what rocketed him into the spotlight. But then he'd done a couple of things before this, I think. Um, so he did Terminator 1. That was the first big movie he did. Oh, right. That okay. Took off. Uh, that was in 90 or 81, I think. Right. And, and then Aliens was 86. Um, and then his last movie before Titanic would have been Terminator 2 then, eh? I th- no, I think he did this movie called Abyss a little before it, right? Or was oh, that in the 80s right. as well? 
Uh, no, Abyss was in the 90s for sure. Oh, okay, 89. He did this movie True Lies before. I have never heard of this movie, but apparently he directed it and wrote it. Uh, I think, uh, doesn't True Lies have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? It does, he's the star. And it's an action comedy. That's not something I was expecting to hear from huh. James Cameron. Uh, yeah, okay, he did... He did uh... Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, and then Titanic. So I would say that this is probably the movie that really cemented him as this guy does big, major blockbusters. Yeah, I just... Not that he hadn't done them before, but like at this point, that's what he does. I still like can't comprehend True Lies being in his uh, cinematography. In his, that is uh, very strange. Because like, you have all these like crazy big mo- like and like ambitious movies. Like Abyss, I remember... I haven't seen it, but I remember hearing it was like a, definitely a big uh, pioneer in uh, uh, at least like CG, like especially water CG. Uh, oh, yeah. Think, and it had like a huge budget for the time. And uh, yeah, and, and then you got like Aliens, Terminator 2... And then Avatar, he sat on that for about 20 years. And when he finally made it, it was still groundbreaking in terms of technology. Yeah, I think it still is, honestly. I haven't seen... Yeah. I personally... I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I haven't seen a movie that has been able to capture, like, or at least have had his great CG work, like, anywhere close, honestly, to Avatar for, like, the whole movie. Uh, I... I think Avatar is probably the reason that 3D took off the way it did. Like, I don't think any other movie even comes close to contributing to why 3D took off the way it did. Yeah, that's the thing. It's It was, like, the first 3D movie that was... And, like, the last real 3D movie, you know? Because, like, a lot of studios, they do uh, 3D... They call it post-conversion, where they film it in 2D, and then they... They put it through like an algorithm and make it 3D. Uh, but James Cameron, yeah, shooting in 3D is actually really hard because you you need like three different cameras at once to use. Uh, yeah, and, and really when tough. you do post conversion, when you do post conversion, you lose a lot of light. So uh, I remember hearing if you've ever seen the movie Avatar: The Last Airbender in 3D, the 3D version is just really hard to see. Because, uh, like, when you do post-conversion, one of the things you lose is all of that exposure. So it, it doesn't even, you, you can't even, like, make out a lot of the things that are happening. And yeah. sure, Avatar is a very bad example, probably, of just about anything. But at the same time, the post-conversion just doesn't really do it. Yeah, as well, especially if you watch a movie like Avatar. So, yeah. Yeah, and then also, like, to, to mention Titanic for James Cameron was also a very big leap uh, in, in effects, I believe. Because there's actually a lot of CG used, uh, surprisingly, in this movie. Um, and water, water, animating water, like, uh, is, is really, really expensive. That's why, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies are usually, like, have huge budgets. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, and but like, and there were a couple actually a couple points where the I was surprised the the CGI definitely looked off at times with the ship. 
I think I remember that, but I don't I remember specifics. specifics. Yeah. But, uh, and it was all obviously like $200 million. It was a very ambitious movie uh, mm-hmm. that really pushed the tech, the technology of it. Um, and that's why, like, I think James Cameron is really cool for for doing that. Uh, like, again, like with Avatar, you said he waited 20 years just because he wanted to make sure he could, like, the tech, the tech he wanted was available for him. And uh, yeah, and how he, he keeps testing because he did the same thing like with uh, Terminator Two as well. Uh, a lot of like it had amazing special effects for the time. Especially with the the liquid, I know the liquid Terminator is insanely hard to animate. I mean, even today, that's not necessarily insanely hard, but like your computer will melt rendering that. Yeah, so it held up really well, and uh, I think he's as as stupid as it sounds. I think he was like one of the only directors that could have probably pulled off a movie like this, uh, like Titanic. Yeah, just because I don't know why, like it did, it felt very James Cameron esque. You know, I can't tell you exactly Mm -hmm. why. Um, It felt like to me, it actually reminded me a lot of like Avatar in in certain aspects. Uh, It's like the I could tell like the writing uh, and the cinematography at times, and like the very slow pace, like very slow pace, but also it keeps you interested the whole time for some reason. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, I think Terminator 1 is only like an hour and a half, but it is a very slow-paced action movie. I I mean, you don't notice it to watch it, because when you watch Terminator, you're invested the whole time, Mm -hmm. but not a lot happens. Like, not not a lot happens over the course of that hour and a half. It's just sort of, uh, and, and and it doesn't happen quickly. So it is. It is interesting. It is interesting you bring that up. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know why. It might just be because I knew it was James Cameron, but um, I was very. Yeah, I was always. I've always been very fine with the way he paced his movies. Um, I just kind of like he's. It's like he's taking his time to really embrace what he's doing. You know, um, because at the start of this movie, they have the the twenty. It's like twenty minutes, I think, of literally the because the movie is essentially actually placed in the present day or at least it was 97 um, yeah the uh i guess just to fill people in the framing device of this movie is several like a scientific team uh finding the titanic and exploring the titanic so mm-hmm. there's this framing device and so uh, what they do is they, they explore the Titanic and they find this necklace and uh, the person who the necklace belongs to, Rose, reaches out to them and comes out to tell them the story that then becomes the whole movie. But there's this, uh, but every now and then we cut back to present day, 1997, I guess, uh, where she's telling the story to these scientists and, but until we even get there, you said 20 minutes. I honestly thought it was a half an hour. But, you know, it's, it's a significant amount of time just showing the ruins of the Titanic. And they actually filmed on site there. Yeah, I, I, saw, I read James Cameron was very uh, 
passionate about making sure that they get the footage from the Titanic mm-hmm. specifically. And I think they like they shot that like six months before shooting or filming actually started. Uh, probably because like it, it helped to like kind of get the uh, the how like the rooms and the design of the Titanic. I don't know if there were like images they could have went off of. So yeah, it was really it was really smart. But um, yeah, it's just like because usually uh, I'm gonna use like uh, Captain America: The First Avenger as an example because uh, that movie starts actually starts in the present day as well. And then they find the shield, and then they go back in time. That that scene is like two minutes, uh, mm-hmm. and like usually in a movie where they do a flashback like that, you would expect maybe like five minutes max, you know? Because honestly, like you wouldn't think that has a big part to play in the story. But yeah, this movie just it it took really long, and it was like you're it was like it's almost like its own self-contained story in a way. I and think for- it's. And it works. Oh. I don't know. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to James Cameron in his movies that you are in the world that he's building, because with Avatar, he spends a lot of time just showing you Pandora. Uh, with this movie, he spends a lot of time just like making sure you're engaged with the Titanic. In Terminator, uh, there's not as much world building there, but he really dives deep into who Kyle Reese is, because that's going to be your guiding point for the whole movie. So I think it's just really important to him. I think world building is just really important to him. Yeah, and I did like the... It, it was cute to have uh, Rose in the future. Like, it wasn't very intrusive. Like, they didn't keep... She didn't keep narrating the story as it went along, just, like, at a couple key points. So it was very restrained. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they cut back to the present. Uh, there's this one really funny one where I think they're about to, Rose and Jack are about to have sex. And then they co- the story cuts back. And then we see like the whole, everybody listening to the story is like on the edge of their seats, just waiting to hear what's next. Uh, yeah, these are the horniest scientists ever depicted. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really cute. Uh, it was, it was, it was kind of meta in a way because mm-hmm. it's, it's I knew that everyone else was also doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, going into the kind of the first half, I want to say, of the movie, uh, which is essentially just just the love story between Rose and uh, Jack, which was, uh, I wouldn't, it wasn't really doing anything special, but like it, it really got the job done. And uh, I feel like, I feel like this is the strongest part of the movie too, because. It's just, I mean, really, it's just a love story, but it's a pretty decently written love story, and it's an incredibly well-acted love story. And so it really just relies on the strength of its characters, and they picked excellent actors to play those characters. And so you get a very straightforward love story, sure, but it just works for that first hour and a half two hours i'm not even sure but it's about, you know, a, it's around about an hour and 15 minutes uh mm-hmm. okay i think but yeah the they had an insane amount of chemistry too mm-hmm. like, you know it's obviously really important yeah well it, i mean you you would notice right away you don't necessarily 
notice when two actors have chemistry, but you really notice when they don't. Yeah, it's it's really bad to have a romance movie and then you just you're just wondering the whole time, like, why are these guys together? They don't seem to really get along at all. Or you don't feel any, any yeah. sparks flying between them. So, mm-hmm. especially for a movie like this, because honestly, the first half is there to build up the tragedy as much as possible, you know? They have a very limited mm-hmm. amount of time. They have, like, because I, I think, yeah, the movie takes over the, or the time, the time of the movie is about a day or two, I think. And uh, maybe maybe slightly more than that, but not much. Okay. So they and the, and they they don't meet before they go on the boat, right? So they they have a lot of work to do, and especially because yeah, they they really need us to buy into it. They they really gave a good backstory for uh, Rose. Like it was obviously like, I think kind of cliche, uh, but it felt unique enough to to really buy me into it, especially because I think her acting was uh, top-notch. Yeah, she's, whole... she's unhappy in her current relationship. And the reason that she's unhappy in her current relationship is laid out and laid out very well. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. And then they, again, like it's not very unique, but I don't, it just felt magical to me there's a couple scenes it's so it's so stupid but the scene where jack brings her to the front of the ship and they get the the music the the soundtrack blaring was honestly like really really good mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a scene that i've i've or like uh, I, it's a scene that i've kind of seen parodied many times uh before watching this movie so i was just kind of like oh, this is probably going to be really stupid but, no, uh, it's it's really good. It works really well in context. It kind of works pretty well out of context too, honestly. Yeah, I couldn't believe but, it. That I, something about that soundtrack, dude. I don't know why it made all these moments so so much better. Well, than than they had any right to be. I gotta look something up. Uh, keep keep talking. So, yeah, and then uh, there's some really. I think they play a lot with the. Uh, the kind of forbidden love aspect too, especially like for being on a ship, right? Because there's only, you know, you kind of have the the whole forbidden romance, like their families can't be together, but also the the entire family, her family is all on the ship and he might bump into them at any time. And that mm-hmm. definitely adds to the, the fun of what they're doing. And, and there are some really cool i don't know why but yeah the, the the scene where he paints rose was very uh i don't know memorable is it, it was just it felt very out of nowhere but it, it was very i don't know erotic <laughs> erotic like it i think it was surprising considering the movie at that point because it felt kind of like a teen romance and then it just it felt like the movie matured a lot like, you know, because she's taking off her clothes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Other than that, though, like, there's not much not much I can say about this part of the movie. It, it's just very solid, and it does its job of making sure that we care about the characters and we, we want to see them together, uh, which leads perfectly into... Because their, their relationship kind of peaks 
right before disaster strikes. So And when disaster strikes, that's the second half of the movie, which the entire first half of the movie has built up as you said, we want it wants us to really be sad that these characters specifically are dying because mm-hmm. they probably will. Uh, one of them doesn't, obviously. She's narrating the story. But these characters are going to die because the entire ship is going to go down. And that's what the second half of this movie is about. Yeah. Um, well, 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 also, I, they, do, they do kind of tie in some, some of the resolution of their relation, like the, the after effects of their relationship. Because they don't really face consequences for what they're doing until the ship is sinking as well. Which is, I think, kind of mm-hmm. clever. So, so that yeah. like, it's not the tragedy isn't literally just about the ship sinking. It's also like the their their respective lives, at least on the boat, are kind of coming apart. Where everyone's starting to find out about them. Well, yeah, but, because this is where Billy Zane actually gets involved. Billy Zane has interacted with both of those characters before, but this is where he's actually like, all right, I need to do something about this relationship because he finds out about it. Yeah, and I, I think that added a really cool dimension to it because it kind of weaves in and out of the... That plotline kind of weaves in and out with the, the, the fact the ship's sinking. Mm-hmm. And it it does tie in like we we see Billy Zane's like kind of true colors come out where he's paying people to get on a lifeboat, and what at one point he, he takes a he takes a kid pretending it's his to get on a lifeboat and stuff. So yeah, it was, and I think that really highlighted just the the aspect because there was especially in the second act they they totally like amp up the the whole class class separation thing where the rich the rich people are specifically are allowed to board board boats first and then the rest of the people who are staying below deck are actually locked out of going onto the surface and it turns Mm -hmm. out a lot like a lot of them died because under the boat but without even getting a chance to get to the surface because uh, they were lower class you know right and so they they really play that up in the second half, even though it thematically follows the whole movie. Because um, first we have the forbidden love class separation, then we have the boats, lifeboats, and stuff. So yeah, and then it just kind of I I thought again I thought the the main characters they kind of be come a little cartoonish, uh, but honestly, like I thought I don't know why, but I thought. Like the whole disaster sequence is also really, really well done. It, it took a long time for that boat to sink, both in real life yeah. and in the movie. But it never feels like it's dragging too long, um, because there's always like, because it, it, it didn't always all happen at once. It was like it was slowly coming, and it was like a just a constant threat that was approaching while we had the star-crossed lovers trying to escape with each other yeah so um i i I thought that was it was just really well done i don't usually like disaster movies uh but this did the not only did it do the romance very well but it also did the the disaster very well too i 
don't disagree with you that the disaster was well done, but I also do think that the second half of the movie was the weakest part. Uh, in particular, like we got, we got some really good stuff from Billy Zane. The rest of the themes of this movie come out because up until this point, the main themes of the movie have been all tied to, to uh, Leo and Kate Winslet's romance. And this is where the movie can sort of divorce itself from that, which is good on one hand, but I kind of felt like the last half of it was, uh, it, it felt a little less um, complete than the first part, just because I, I honestly thought the ship sinking dragged on a little too much. And um, it was interesting to see all of the, it, it was interesting to see the disaster done as well as it was, but I felt like it was a lot of people running around screaming and not much happening, even though there was some interesting stuff that happened, like Billy Zane's character's story arc and uh, the class divide thing. I kind of thought that it was a little bit tacked on at the end. And while the end in this case is an hour and a half long, I really would have would have preferred to either not see a lot of these themes done as thoroughly, like just to see themes from the beginning fleshed out more, or to have seen these, uh, the, the themes in the second half sort of alluded to a little more in the beginning. The class divide was there, but it wasn't center stage until right at the end, uh, which I guess that's actually one that worked fairly well. But, um, and, and, and Billy Zane was good. But then aside from the one scene of everyone, of, of everyone in the third class not being allowed up uh, on deck and Billy Zane and Billy Zane's plot, I don't remember a lot of the last half of the movie because I just thought that it was a lot of running around screaming. That's and true. in <laughs> fact, it was... In fact, it was actually good. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want to put out there that that last half of Titanic is bad. There's a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot of good character moments. We get more Kathy Bates. But on the other hand, I just thought that this was, in general, much weaker than the first part. And probably the reason for that is that this part of the movie relies much more on the writing and the extras than on the the two main leads. Kate Winslet and Leo really, like, I don't want to say they carry the first part of the movie. They don't. But they contribute a lot to the first part of the movie. And then in the, in the second half, they just kind of don't. Because as you said, they just kind of become dumb lovers at that point. Mm. And now we have to rely entirely on James Cameron's writing and all of the extras. James Cameron's writing is very good. However, at this point, he's writing a million different characters instead of three. Yeah, so it becomes very unfocused. And... Exactly. So when you get to that point, the last half of the movie is kind of all over the place. And while it works better than a lot of disaster movies, like I think this is, I think the last hour and a half of Titanic is probably objectively better than 2012. <laughs> yeah. On the other, 
on the other hand, it's just sort of, it's a little jarring coming from the first half of Titanic mm. because it's obviously going to be anyway. It's an entirely different kind of movie at that point. But um, I just think that it kind of drops in general be, uh, because it's no longer as focused as the first half. That's fair. I, I, I definitely could see that because, yeah, after uh, Ro, like, once once the ship starts sinking, Rose and Jack are they don't really have much use in the movie because you know nothing they do can really obviously affect saving anyone. So mm-hmm. they're it, it is it is really tough to 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 kind of give to have two main characters halfway through the movie be basically have not be given nothing to work with. So Yeah, and I don't think that I don't think that that's the way to save the the last half of the movie. I honestly don't know how you would fix the last half of the movie. It is as good as it could be as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I think it might be like part of it why I'm so okay with it is probably because I knew the Titanic would sink in the end because of the whole true story thing. And it definitely sure. helped the tone of cuz uh, I don't I don't know about you but for me when i was watching the first first half right the the whole romance thing already feels tragic you know because you know these guys yeah. this isn't you, you just know this isn't gonna work out right and that actually makes the transition into the second the second part a lot easier because you're for me i was already kind of in that mindset of like this this is really sad uh, well, whereas, I think, like, if it was a fictional event and I didn't know the ship was going to sink at the end, I, I do agree that, like, probably probably a, a, a full hard-on romance shifting into a complete disaster movie, the tonal shift is probably insanely intense. I, I think you're right about that, about that. And I would say that the first part... Yeah, the first part already feels tragic, and so I'm not upset that in the second half there's not as much Rose and Jack because essentially, at the uh, when when the Titanic starts sinking, their romance is already over. It's important that we see them again, but it's not important that they build out their relationship much more. I just re- I I just wish that um, the second half had been more focused around, say, another two characters. Not another romance, necessarily, but let's get way more Billy Zane and way more Kathy Bates, even though they are, the, as far as any character is the focus of the second half, they're the focus of the second half. It just felt like there was kind of too many cooks in the kitchen by the time the second half came around. Mm, that's fair. There was a lot of people... Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, maybe I just don't like the disaster aspect of it. That's possible too. I, the more I think about it, like I I don't know how that last half could have been better because it was very good. It just wasn't as good as the first half. Is really my only complaint. Well, it's just tough too because obviously, like, can't really change entirely what happens. I, James Cameron. Obviously, he wanted to keep it as as realistic as possible, you know. 
So sure. he wasn't, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't going to give Rose and Jack, he, or he wasn't able to give Rose and Jack, like, oh, we can save the ship if we do this or we do that. Uh, well, that wouldn't even make sense. I would be, I would be upset if that happened. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I think it's just kind of a tough spot. Uh, personally, I think he kind of did the best he could with what he had for that part. For sure. I think disaster movies in general, like, just, uh, again, I haven't really seen a good disaster movie other than this. So, you know, there you go. But yeah, if I can think of one, we'll talk about it at some point. Eventually, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I guess the ending uh, was pretty sweet. I like the, the, you definitely feel the, the first 20 minutes was worth it when you kind of come back out of, uh, of the past and then you get to, you know, be back with everyone just kind of being like, whoa, that was crazy, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, it's just the resolution was nice uh, seeing because they were the whole, the whole thing started because there was a treasure hunter looking for a, mm-hmm. an old necklace that Rose had in the yeah. ship. And then uh, it turns out she had it with her the whole time to remember Jack by it. Um, which is kind of odd because Billy Zane was the one that gave it to her. <laughs> so yeah. now that I think about it, it's a little weird. Um, but, but so then really, I, the point of this movie is screw Billy Zane. Yeah. And keep his jewelry. And it was kind of <laughs> worth it because she got to keep, yeah. Uh, the only thing, though, I would say, I think we both talked about this earlier, but the ending, uh, last of all, just kind of left a, a bitter taste in my mouth when there's kind of like a dream sequence, or, or I think it's left open. She's either dreaming or she's dead. And uh, we see her reunited with Jack with everyone else on the Titanic. Uh, and uh, I, I just thought it was really odd um, because, you know, they... they they make sure to clarify that Rose has been married for many, many years and has had many children and grandchildren. Yet she has at least one daughter and she is a widow, but she was married for a while. Yeah. So So there's an entire love story we're not seeing. And apparently it doesn't matter because she's always been pining after Leo anyway. Yeah. I just, because I, I really bought the romance at the start because, again, they were kind of, you know, she was she was extremely emotional at the time. She was, like, a, a very depressed, uh, very borderline suicidal uh, teenager. And he was uh, just, like, a down-on-his-luck also teenager that was, you know, looking... And she was, like, the girl of his dreams, right? So you can kind of yeah. you can you can easily buy into that's like because again they they I think they knew each other for probably like forty eight hours maybe over the course of the movie and they they only fall in, in love in like the last twenty four hours yeah so for then I can buy into that because yeah they're they're kids but then this woman she's Rose is aged to like ninety or a hundred years old and like as if she died and. The, the implication is she went to heaven and was reunited with Jack. It was kind of sad because you're like, well, what about this other dude that, you know, she supposedly loved for many years? And it just kind of defeats that point because, uh, you know, she, she's an older woman now is expecting her, like, obviously, like, not to care 
not to completely forget Jack, but like to, to love him, but to acknowledge that, you know, it was just like a really emotional time and who knows if they were actually soulmates because, you know, they knew each other for a day. Right. Um, so it did feel kind of weird that that happened, but um, I think, I guess it was, it was, you know, I, I could see why someone would find that touching and why James Cameron would put it there. Uh, I, well, I feel I mean, like it definitely added to the rewatchability of this movie too for other I was going to say, technically anything else wouldn't really have worked in the context of this movie, but I agree with everything you said. Yeah, it, it would have been kind of like, weird if she died and then like she hangs out with her husband and Jack or like just her husband yeah. and we're like, who is this guy, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I guess there was no other way to end it. Um, and I obviously the the whole point of the they weren't trying to like the theme of the movie wasn't to say, lol, like young romance is dumb. Uh, so, yeah. But uh, overall, like, just a really great movie. Um, surprisingly, like, interesting for its runtime and its topic. Uh, and it, it's just, like, yeah. another example of James Cameron just making, making movies work. He's just really good at what he does. Yeah, uh, we've talked about a lot of really good directors here. I guess, like, I don't think we've outright ever said a director is bad, except maybe M. Night Shyamalan in episode one of uh, Classic Movies Live. But, um, I mean, I think you really notice when we, when we talk about a director that's really good. And James Cameron is obviously very good. I am, although I'm not excited to see the world of Avatar again, because it's been 10 years at this point, I am excited to see James Cameron make another movie coming up in the near future here, eventually. Yeah, I think that's just like a huge part of his appeal at this point. Uh, definitely, in my opinion, or a big part of why Avatar really took off at the start. Um, not only that, obviously, it was just obviously like a really great experience, specifically mm -hmm. the 3D, especially for the time. Um, but just that, you know, it, at this point, you could tell when he makes a movie, especially uh, other than with True Lies, it's the it's still an anomaly. But if he makes a movie, you can tell he he's legitimately passionate about it, and you're probably going to see something you've never seen before. Well, hold on. With True Lies, he wrote that screenplay, so we don't know for sure that he wasn't passionate about it. In fact, all evidence points to him being passionate about it. Okay, maybe passion is not the right word. Just like. He's going to make it, I don't any, know, any case. But yeah, you, you know that he's invested in this movie. And so I, I don't want to exclude any of the movies that he's done because I haven't seen all of them. And the ones that I have seen, he has definitely been passionate about. Terminator, Terminator 2, Avatar, Titanic, all of those, he definitely, he, he put his heart and soul into those. I don't know how long those took to produce, but, you know, if it took him three years, I, I don't know if it ever did, but just as an example, if it took him three years to produce those movies, he was invested the full three years making those movies. He was, yeah. I, and I also say he's probably the only other, other than Christopher Nolan, he's probably the only director that is almost like a brand and that like, 
when his movie comes out, it's almost, you know, like an event. Like, you have to watch a movie. I would, ar- I would argue so. that... Uh, I would argue that Guillermo del Toro fits that bill. Probably. I have seen... I have seen movies that aren't directed by Guillermo del Toro that have produced by Guillermo del Toro as a selling point in the trailer where the this same true, thing yeah. would, would apply to James Cameron. Yeah. Unfortunately, James Cameron product producing is almost like a sure fate that the movie's going to be bad. So really, what has he produced? Uh, I don't remember for sure. Well, all the Terminator uh, sequels. Oh, no, that's right. Uh, yeah, I remember Tim Miller said that he, he didn't much care for James Cameron's notes on the last Terminator movie. Yeah, which is too bad, because I was really excited, because he's usually actually, like, an executive producer, which was just uh, an honorary role. Uh, right. But for that one, he was a legitimate producer, and it sounds like, yeah, him and Tim Miller clashed a lot over the movie. That is a shame because I've yeah. I've seen I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen Tim Miller's uh, notes on the movie and what he wanted to do, and it sounded mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next. Uh, overall, Titanic, uh, definite recommend, especially as a Leo. If you're obviously this series is about Leo, so if you're a Leo fan, this is a must watch. And, Absolutely. Uh, I feel uh, like this is a quintessential Leo movie. If you haven't yeah. if, if you're a Leo fan and you want to watch Leo movies and you haven't seen this, then I feel you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Especially like yeah, this movie just essentially made him an icon in pop culture. Yeah. You know, so uh yeah. Uh I'd say like a nine out of ten or eight point five out of ten on like a movie scale. For a Leo scale, probably actually like a six out of ten. Uh, like, probably one of the, like, the, like, obviously, like, he didn't, I don't think he had much to work with, but just compared to his other performances, it was a lot less effort from what I could tell, so. Uh, I would say on a movie scale, I'd put this at, like, a 7 or a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, that's, that is very good, normally. I'm, I'm normally very harsh on movies, so that's, that's still very good, in case you were wondering. Uh, on a Leo scale, as you were saying, I would say not his weakest performance, but of the performances we've seen, which have all been strong, you know, lower, low, lower, lower than, uh, lower than average. Well, not lower than average, but lower than, it, it's fairly low on the list. So I would say maybe probably also a six out of 10, you know, decent, yeah. but not fantastic. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what's uh, next time? So, uh, next, so now, actually, let's, uh, let's get into what is essentially going to be an outro here. We have, uh, we've, we've finished our early period Leo. So, we've done five movies that, that we've decided were emblematic of early period Leo, Leo's first 10 years, roughly. Uh, so, we did, we did This Boy's Life. What's Eating Gilbert Grape, uh, The Basketball Diaries, Romeo and Juliet, and Titanic. Uh, That is not all of the movies he did in the 90s. There's probably three or four more in there that are actually ones we probably should not have missed, but we we did. Uh, We'll get back to them eventually. He has a movie in there with Kurt Russell. He's got another movie with Robert De Niro. 
we'll get back to them potentially if people uh, if people enjoy this series or if we enjoy this series enough, I guess. Um, but next up, we are going to when when we release our next episode, we're going to start with mid period Leo, which is going to be Leo in the two thousands. Uh, so our next episode is going to be Catch Me If You Can, which we'll get to. Uh, well, it's going to be Catch Me If You Can which I believe is his first time interacting with Tom Hanks, actually. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's going to be exciting. Um, every single one of these has been the first time Leonardo DiCaprio has been in the same movie as another major actor, which is really interesting. Uh, but I, not, wait. Never mind. I, was I mean... Of- uh, Robert De Niro. Well, I was going to say uh, some of them, you know, less major than others, because in the first one we had Robert De Niro. In the second one, it was him interacting with Johnny Depp. Uh, in the third one, the Basketball Diaries was Mark Wahlberg. Romeo and Juliet, I would argue Paul Rudd. Uh, with this one, it's harder to say for sure, but I guess if, if I need to say someone, I would say Kathy Bates or Kate Winslet. Um, and then in the next one, we got Tom Hanks. That's true. Yeah. And it's a great movie. So I'm excited to watch it. So, uh, I do remember bringing this up in our third episode. What, uh, would you say? So I remember in our third episode, I said at the end of each of these Leo, of, of these periods of Leo's life or of Leo's career, we would, uh, sort of rank our, what we've seen up to now, or at least what we've seen up to now from that period of his career. So what do you think of the first five movies? Um, from, just from what I know, I'd say overall, because I haven't seen a lot of these movies before, uh, but I've seen the movies from later, I'd definitely say this was like a weak period for him. Um, like, uh, like in terms of like him being an actor, I think it's really great. Because I like I I thought these roles were actually pretty strategic, and he was very consistently challenging himself uh, and developing his uh, acting ability, which is really cool to see. But you can definitely tell mm-hmm. he's he's just he's getting ready to become one of the greats, you know. And he's he's not there yet, uh, mm-hmm. but like you know, for the first three movies, he he showed off his amazing acting ability. Uh, with these re- well, uh, relatively u- unique movies, you know, like they're not the type of movie uh, a kid would usually be in, like movies with abuse and and stuff. Um, and also, they're not they're not really the type of movies he would be in later on. Yeah, but I I would say each one definitely played a role. And, and showing his growth. So, like, yeah, overall, like, I wouldn't say it's a great period for movies in general, uh, but he, he he definitely shown, and uh, it's more of, definitely more of a strategic rise where he, he played very, very challenging roles at first to establish his acting potential, and then, and then he slowly started getting bigger roles with more, uh, with cooler, in my, cooler directors, such as, you know, uh, Baz Luhrmann and then James Cameron, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I think uh, over the next decade, which we're gonna or in the next period of Leo, we're gonna see how much 
him working up to these bigger roles pays off uh, in the next the next section. So yeah, overall, I'd say yeah. like a seven or maybe like uh, I like to use five as like an average. Um, I'd say like a six out of ten in terms of pure pure enjoyability and uh, maybe five actually. But uh, yeah, I it was just interesting to watch the changes which is definitely cool now i'd also be interested just because i will also rank them how would you rank these first five movies like what would you put at oh uh, if, if, yeah if, if you can i definitely say titanic on the top i want to say uh I, again i might be biased just because i really like james cameron but i want to say it's up there maybe tied with romeo and juliet just because of how interesting that movie was because overall, I'd right. say Titanic was a relatively safe movie in, in terms of, like, story and directing. Uh, Surprisingly so, period. actually, when you, you think know, about it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. very relatively basic characters in, in service of kind of grander expect or story uh, potential. I think he does the same thing in Avatar. The, story, the, the characters are pretty basic, but the overall world building and plot make up for it. Right. So I I would say it's tied with Romeo and Juliet just because of how fun that movie was and interesting it was to me. Mm-hmm. And then for the next three, I want to say ugh, these are really hard because I think I talked about this earlier, but like I just I don't like them in terms of like they're good movies on paper, but I just find them really hard to watch. I'd probably say This Boy's Life third. And then uh, Basketball Diaries last. So Gilbert Grape second last. So yeah, I go uh, okay. Basketball Diaries and then Gilbert Grape. No, Basketball Diaries. Yeah, Gilbert Grape, This Boy's Life. And then Titanic and uh, Romeo and Juliet are kind of tied because I like them a lot, but for different reasons. Fair enough. I would say, I guess to... Uh sort of touch on your first point there. I think I would also probably rate this period of Leo, you know, six out of 10. You can see what he's building towards. I'm excited to see more. This is not it yet. We're, we're getting there. Um, and then as far as rating these, four, these first five movies, for me, it's, it's fairly clear, actually. I would put Basketball Diaries at the, at the bottom, which, I mean... If you really like, if you're listening to this and you really like Basketball Diaries, that doesn't mean I didn't like it. It just means of these five, I liked it the least. Basketball Diaries at the bottom. Then I would probably put This Boy's Life. Then Gilbert Grape. Then Titanic. And for me, Romeo and Juliet is the clear, clear winner. Because I think the way that you said that uh, Titanic is a very safe movie, I agree. It's very good. It, I mean, it beats out three other movies in my list of five, but um, Romeo and Juliet is exactly the opposite of a safe movie and it somehow works. And I loved that movie. I really liked it. I didn't even understand how much I liked that movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I I agree in terms of Romeo and Juliet just being really fun. Um, And especially like among this cinematography, like, or among this filmography that we just watched, it's definitely the one that pops out the most. 
just it's, overall. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it it shouldn't be the weird movie in the photography in the filmography, but it totally is. Yeah. So yeah, respect, respect. All right. So you know what we did miss? I'm gonna I'm gonna tease something that we have not yet planned, but will eventually hopefully come up. Leo was in a western with Kurt Russell in the early '90s. Uh, called The Quick and the Dead, which we did not talk about, but is apparently like a major thing for him in the early 90s, according to my, uh, according to a book that I found in my house called Leonardo DiCaprio, Modern Day Romeo by Grace Catalano. Oh, so eventually we will probably have to talk about this Western. He's got quite a few things in the 90s that we weren't able to get to uh, in this iteration of the podcast. We will get there eventually, but uh, coming up next, we got Catch Me If You Can, which should be coming to you guys next week. Nice. I'm excited. It's one of my favorite movies. Perfect. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm I'm very excited because I think that's... I don't think I've ever seen Tom. I mean, I, I'm sure I have, but I don't think I've ever. But uh, I can't remember another time that I've seen Tom Hanks uh, swear, aside from a <laughs> clip that I've seen from Catch Me If You Can. So I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I love Tom Hanks. All right. Well, we will see you guys for Catch Me If You Can next week. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm just really excited right. for it. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Peace out. See you guys.